Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibi Youssef. Nothing grinds my gear more than HR teams who all of their goals are just input goals. So like yep. launch a new benefits platform, deliver a new policy. And I'm like, what are you guys doing this for? And you hear like, oh, it's because we need a new benefits policy. And I'm like, yeah, but why? Oh, because people want one. Okay, but what's it like? What are we trying to do here? Yeah, launch a benefits policy. And I'm like, okay, we're getting in. What are we doing? So I think that the ability to shift your team from being like, oh, we're doing this piece of work to we're changing this thing in the team. We're improving our employee lifetime value, or we're increasing the time it takes for somebody to get from onboarded to promoted, or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Like, think of an actual metric. I have had this really big um, interesting event recently I did with True HR, big shout out, love that group, about how to take marketing metrics and apply them to HR. Marketing is really, really good at output-based like output metrics. And um, I was joined by my really good friend, uh, CMO of Jim Pass, Ryan, and we talked about what are the metrics he looks at in, in marketing and how you can apply them to the HR world. And I'm sure there's a recording of it floating around somebody somewhere, but honestly, just go to your marketing team and say, what are the metrics that you think about and how could I potentially think about them in people? Go to your product team, which is what I wrote my whole book about, and ask them, what are the metrics that you look at when it comes to customer journeys? And then see how you can apply them to your people team. And you'll start having good ideas about how you can actually influence change in your company rather than just ship stuff. Because there's nothing less engaging for your HR team than like shipping a new benefits platform that nobody cares about because nobody needed it and it's not going to make a material change to your company. The key to your business is success. Your people. Get 15.5, the performance management platform that helps you improve employee engagement and performance. Visit 15.5.com slash demo to schedule a demo today. Social media is where people look for jobs. Hootsuite's social media software helps you make sure they find yours. Broadcast new job opportunities and empower your workforce to share your brand's content with their networks. Find out how at Hootsuite.com. Hi, all. Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals all about how to make workplace cultures better. I'm your host, Tibba Youssef, and the founder and creator behind I Hate It Here. Each week, we'll dive into a different topic and talk about how it's impacting work and what you can do about it. Joining me today is Jessica. Jessica, you want to give your bio? Hey, I am currently the CEO of a company called Whereby. We are a fully distributed uh, video conferencing platform. We're based in Norway, so our headquartered in Norway. We have a uh, Etsy in both the UK and in the US. So I am here in New York City. But prior to my role as COO, I worked in people and legal for a very long time, about 10 years, from through Australia, in the UK, in Amsterdam, and now here in the US. So yeah, lots of experience in the people world. And I have written a book recently, which my publisher tells me I should be mentioning in podcasts. So here I am yes, doing please. that. It's called Built for People. It's a book all about how to uh, approach HR with product management principles in mind. So how to think about things iteratively with user research, design sprint, those kinds of bits and pieces, how to structure your team and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. So yeah, that's me. That's pretty great. They need to read it. I loved it. You did. That oh, was a great book. Thank you. I was a fan on LinkedIn for years. And then when I saw you were writing a book, I was like, yes, <laughs> everything this woman writes resonates with me. And then I got oh, to meet you. So I'm That's so nice. Famous a creepy fangirl right now. <laughs> I really appreciate you saying that. I always get so bashful when people send me nice things on the internet as well. Like I had someone 
send me a LinkedIn message the other day being like, I want to let you know that I was reading your book on the train and I loved it so much that I missed my stop. And I was like, girl, it is a HR book. I'm like, <laughs> I, thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's the nicest thing you can possibly say. It's incredible. It's like, sure. It's not Kafka, what? but it's, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. My book about HR. I'm dying. I would probably miss a stop from reading, but usually I'm reading like fantasy romance novels, not business books, to be honest. Oh, how dare you? How dare you? Sorry. No, it's totally fine. Sorry. My, my little sister actually, like, she um, studied creative writing. Like, she's a writer. And she texted me when my book came out. She's like, love you, girl. So proud of you. Can't believe you wrote a book before me. FYI, never going to read it. Super boring. <laughs> I want to be friends with your sister. <laughs> FYI, never going to read it. Super boring. In brackets, super boring. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Love you too. Some people don't like business books, okay? You know, people I, people ask me all the time, like, hey, what are you reading? And I'm like, uh, a fantasy novel. Like every time <laughs> fantasy is like my number one genre. And they're like, no, like what business books are you reading? And I always have to be like, uh, <laughs> like rack my brain for like the last <laughs> business book ever. I'm like, uh, Bill for people. <laughs> yes, that's it. You just say my book. That's what you this need to say. Song. Be like, it's from now on. For it. I love it so much that I missed several stops on a train. Just take that story. <laughs> love- <laughs> that's going to be me now. Everyone's going to hear it on the podcast next week. I was just, I missed my train stop. I haven't ridden a train in so long, honestly. I probably would miss my train stop. Um, before we get distracted, because I know we can take this in a million different ways. Thank you yeah. for introducing yourself. I'm so excited to hear. I always like to kick off with like a fun question. And today it's going to be, what is your one HR hot take? This is a really good question. It's one of those things that in my head, I'm like, I don't have any hot takes. My, my, all my takes are very like normal. But yeah. then I'm sure when I actually really think about it, there are probably heaps of hot takes. It depends how like spicy you are as a listener, probably. But probably at the moment, the one thing that's kind of, I think, maybe a little controversial or like maybe cerebral, I'm not really sure, but it's my hottest take is I think that this kind of funny combination that's going on right now of both the increase in AI tools taking away admin work, plus this kind of huge flood of the market of really, really experienced senior people being laid off from like big tech, plus a lot more kind of strategic work needs to be happening, a bigger focus on um, you know distributed remote and lean workforces and sustainability and profitability. I think those three things together are going to combine into employees being more and more senior and kind of almost demanding or expecting like profit sharing, dividends, more co-ownership, like stronger equity stakes. And you know, I think maybe we might even see some like crazy like tech co-ops pop up and stuff like that. I don't know. That's my hot take. Like pure tech space communism or something. I just can't wait to re-listen to this episode in the future. I'm really going to enjoy it. Um, tech, Pure tech space commu- communism. Is that what yeah. we're calling it? Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's why. Well, like, no hot takes, no hot takes. Oh, except for space communism. Yeah. No hot takes. But here's what the future of work is going to look like. Let me tell you right now. They're going to say they heard it first on this podcast. Or we're going to get, like, roasted on the internet. Either way, you know, I'm down. I'm down for it. Yeah. I mean, I think this one podcast just for this time should, instead of being called I Hate It Here, be called, be called I'm Going to Love It There. In brackets, yeah. space communism. <laughs> we, are, we, can't, we can't go down this rabbit hole. We're done. We're done. We're, we're, we're done. We're done. Um, but I do, that hot take is so fascinating to me that I feel like we should talk more about it. That should be what we talk about right now. Because I am 
It's okay. we're watching it happen. And I think about the with the rise of AI. I had this fascinating conversation earlier this week where someone was like, what's going to happen to entry level roles if AI is doing mm. all the admin work and in your entry level role, you're mostly doing admin stuff like, right, that's where you like start to learn everything. So with AI, what happens to those entry level roles? Entry-level roles are going to change, right? Like, I mean, to some degree, we kind of had this conversation already. Like, and we do all the time. It kind of sometimes feels like we're like, oh, kids of our youth. Like, back in my day, I used to scan contracts and upload them in a system. You know, like, my first HR job, literally my job was to print out letters of offer, make two copies, put them in a mailing envelope, mail them to people's houses, have them returned, sign and return one, and then scan it and put it in a system. That was my entry-level job. To think about someone even having that job now is absolutely insane. And when our like HR system came out back then, I remember implementing like PeopleSoft or something like that. Everyone was like, oh no, what are the grads going to do? The grads will have nothing to do now that all the contracts are manually, like, automatically sent. But like, yeah, we found more stuff for people to do. Like, There's plenty of work to go around. And actually, you know what happened when that transition went from like these manual systems to like cloud-based systems that were really nice to use and like personally mobile phones people could hold in their hands that gave them access to signing documents remotely and those kinds of things, is the work just got more interesting. People stopped working on scanning contracts and started working on things like making nicer experiences for people and thinking more strategically. I think that's just what will happen. And I think that's actually a really good thing. I do remember my first few jobs and I would, there's now all of that work has been automated. Now that I'm thinking about it, like we're recalling my experiences, all yeah. of that's been automated now. Wow. Um, okay, so you're saying the ri- with yeah. the rise of AI and more big tech people that are big strategic leaders, mm-hmm. there's going to be kind of a shift in maybe compensation. You're predicting like compensation structures could look different. I like that I say you're predicting as if you're like an, ec- an economist. I'm like, you're predicting. Yeah, I'm like, well, that's my hot take is I am predicting something about the future that I think <laughs> is pretty spicy. But I think... You know, I think with the the kinds of folks that are like, you, you, even if you just think about this, like for me at least, like today, right? If you've got somebody that's coming from, you know, they've just been let go at Google, right? Google did the big round of layoffs a couple of months ago, and you were on some massive total comp package, like four hundred fifty thousand dollars a year total comp, and now you're like, okay, well, I'm kind of like in a good position financially. I don't need a lot of money in the next one to two years, but I want to go do something. I'm you know, really bought into either you go and found a company yourself. Well, not everyone has the skills to start a seed level company. And to be honest, I think most people know that they're not crazy enough to want to do that anyway. But a lot of people are interested in joining more kind of emergent businesses or businesses that maybe like a B a B uh, round that you know have a lot of strategic work that needs to be done by these leaders. And I don't think they're going to be drawn in by a salary a quarter of that amount and like a pretty low equity stake that's diluted every time there's a new round of investment. They're going to be demanding, and I think fairly, fairly, something a little bit more substantial uh, because they're probably going to be, bring a lot more to the table than some other people like, you know, getting a, you know, a graduate in to do a sales role or something. I don't know. So yeah, I think that logically that kind of just makes sense. And I think that that negotiation actually is in the benefit of both com- companies and the employees in that circumstance. But I feel like it completely shifts what we've historically thought of compensation. Right. We usually think of like base equity variable like we're not I don't think very many places are thinking about like a profit share model right now, although in some industries they do profit sharing. Like I think like a lot of architecture firms or 
they've done profit sharing historically. Exactly. And they got about like partnership models and stuff, which I think is interesting. Like maybe there's something actually to learn from law firms and architecture firms and those kinds of places where you have partners in the business that are kind of partial owners that also have these very large strategic roles and do a lot of like business development. Like maybe there's actually something that, you know, technology can learn from that. I actually just, I had this other small hot take, which is in the same vein, which I think is essentially also interesting, which is like, so I just said like, there's this bit you can learn off like architecture firms and law firms, I think, and like the partnership model. There's also another thing that I think is kind of interesting at the moment, which is entertainment businesses. So cinema businesses like Netflix, blah, blah, blah. They've been really for a very long time trying to load off tech, trying to build tech platforms and trying to bring in tech teams. But I don't think that we have really learned very much in technology about how they build their amazing businesses. And something that I find really interesting is the idea that like, if you're thinking about the creation of like a movie, for example, somehow these studios will spin up like, you know, they've got like a $5 million budget, $20 million budget. They spin up this incredible team, this huge mechanism. They build this piece of work. And then the mechanism kind of dissolves and it turns into like IP, right? Yep. There's something about that I think that's also really interesting, um, especially in this period of like layoffs and ownership and all this kind of stuff I'm talking about is like for a very long time in tech, we've considered these roles to be permanent ongoing roles that we will have in these tech businesses, new businesses or established businesses for like potentially forever with infinite growth and infinite scale. And we can get promoted every year and yada, yada, yada. But actually, maybe we could learn something also off these types of businesses that actually they're there to produce something, which in a lot of tech companies, it's the same thing. You've got like five years to create a product and then you iterate on it and you grow it in a like repeatable sales function or whatever. Maybe there's actually something we can learn from that kind of world as well in terms of giving people larger ownership stakes, giving people profit dividends, like the big stars in Hollywood movies get like really great residuals deals. I actually think that there may be something in that model as well, which could be interesting in the same mindset. Like if you bring someone in from a massive role at Google that was leading a strategy team and say like, you're just here for a year, that's all we need you for. We're going to give you a this much salary and then we're going to give you residuals for every $20,000 that we sell of your product over the next five years, you will get $2 of every dollar or something, $2 of every 10 or something. I don't know. That is also, I think, kind of an interesting way to think about it. It changes conceptually what we've always thought about compensation, but I also think it also then enables the people to be more bought in for the time that they were there, where I feel like a lot of places I've been one foot in, one foot out, where I'm like, oh, I'm going to leave this company anyways. But now if I know that I potentially could earn very real money in the upside, would I be more engaged? Totally. Yeah. And like you would really think about your career as more of a portfolio career there, right? It's less about like this like linear journey of like, I want to get more and more and more senior over time so I can earn more money. Honestly, I think actually this glass ceiling we see and this like kind of Peter effect of that one where you like, you get more senior until your highest point of incompetence. I think you could potentially see those things start to break down a little because you don't need to be getting more and more senior to earn money every year. You could just be a really fantastic IC like strategy operations person and have your portfolio career where you move from company to company and your residuals increase over time depending on the success you've had in those companies. And you never need to have this constant fight for hierarchical power and dominance. I think there's a lot of really positive and interesting things that break down from it. Of course, there's lots of negatives as well that we can probably try to avoid in the way that law firms are structured and Hollywood films are produced. But like, I feel like tech has kind of presumed they have it right. And then the last year has really proven to me that they just like actually don't. I think it's interesting. Everyone used to covet the jobs in tech. Like, I must go work in tech. I must go work at a rapid 
startup. I got to get Stripe on my resume. I got to get Google on my resume. I got to get Facebook. And now all I hear from people is I want to leave tech for something more stable because the last year has just been so tumultuous. Mm. And the thing that I think really has brought about the tumultuous nature is that historically VCs have focused on that hyperscale model that you and I have talked about where it's like, add more people, throw more bodies at the problem, and that way you are successful. But we've seen that that's not true. VCs have never been bashful about either saying that that's what they want people to do, and they've actually never even been bashful about the fact that it's risky, right? Yeah. Like venture capital is literally a risky investment, like comparatively to like one of bonds or something, right? Like, but for some reason, and I think this is mostly honestly HR fault. We have marketed ourselves as being these like stable, progressive careers where you have these really nice salaries and beautiful benefits forever and you have these permanent jobs and you can infinitely grow and infinitely progress. And I think that's just like it's always kind of been a bit of a lie or at least it was a a short-term truth serving the businesses to try and get hyperscale, but they were hiding the fact that the risk really did exist. Like the risk in the market is massive in, in tech, right? So... I think that's partially HR's fault, but I think it's also obviously VCs. I don't think VCs have ever lied about it, basically. I don't think they've ever been unclear. No, they've been very honest about who they are from the very beginning, and it is risky. But I think think the thing that's getting to be interesting now is employees are more cognizant of that risk. That This last year, Mm. I had a lot of friends be like, oh, I never knew I was supposed to ask for how much runway a company had when I was like going through an interview process. And I was like, how would you not ask that question? Like startups, the, we've all seen the numbers, like 2% of companies will see an exit and the rest of them are going to rely on raising more money to continue existing. And that money sometimes yeah. runs out. But people, I think, until this like last two or three years, I don't think a lot of employees knew how to ask that. And I don't know if it's like, I wouldn't say it's HR's fault, but like you're trying to sell them on working at a rapid growth startup. And so like selling them, the dream, but then being like, oh, hey, by the way, we also might fail. It's like not something I think most HR people are accustomed to doing. I think so. And I think that part of that is because HR teams haven't been given the commercial tools to actually make, oh, we may fail, like actually valuable to a person during the time that they're working there. Other than saying like, you get really lovely benefits and you'll get like cupcakes on Fridays or whatever things that you get given. Yeah. A lot of the equity, like the cap table is usually really firm and the HR team has like a very small part to play in how that that equity is distributed. Yes, they may have a budget to distribute compensation, but I think the real push towards like transparent and fair compensation frameworks has only happened in the last couple of years. So it really was like the only tool that a lot of HR people had in their arsenal was to talk great game about the, like the employee value proposition from like a comfort and benefits perspective. And there's not a lot of incentive there to say, in the balance of risk, you may lose your job in a year, but you get working from home Fridays and beanbags. Like that's like no one would say yes to that, right? No. Or at least maybe not confident. Like maybe I would. I don't know. Who knows what I was going to do when I was like 25? Maybe I would have. Kind of said yes to that. It's also just really interesting because the cap table thing, HR, I think, is always underrepresented on cap tables. And I find it very interesting because after your IP, your second most priceless thing is like your people. 
and your head of mm-hmm. HR and your people ops person kind of helps facilitate that. But they're usually underrepresented on the cap table. And then even then, they don't explain to employees, okay, we're giving you these like options. But like, let's say in a buyout, what happens is like, you're going to be the last people who actually get the money. Like it has to go back to the investors before it comes to you. And a lot of people don't know that. They like take their equity and they're like, yeah, I'm going to become a millionaire off of this. And I'm always like, you're probably not. Maybe, but like small percentage chance. I think that comes down to like, gosh, I don't want to say horrible things about HR because I actually like. Yeah, what the hell? This is an HR podcast. Jessica, come on. Like, HR. No, I'm a HR podcast. Like, we all are. It's tough. I don't think these things are all like, it's the people team's fault they haven't done these things. And I also don't think the answer is like, oh, it's also businesses don't give HR leaders the respect they deserve thing. I think there is a bit of a like, there's a mutually benefit, like a kind of symbiotic failing system there that we need to break but for a very long time i think a lot of hr leaders have really focused on what i call the kind of more human ops side of the work Mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversation that happens around like coaching and well-being and those things are really important and actually i do genuinely believe that they actually affect your top line so i'm not pretending that they don't but very little of the conversation actually is, I think, really grounded in like commercial reality and quantified or complemented by having a more serious conversation about uh, the strategic plays that your HR team needs to make or thinking about things from more product perspective and, you know, thinking about things from first principles and solving problems that really affect the business. So what ends up happening is HR leaders kind of aren't really taken to be particularly commercially serious, which is I'm putting in air quotes for those that are actually listening and not watching my face on the internet. But the other side of that is that also a lot of HLE design beat just aren't either interested or don't engage in mm. the numbers. So, you know, I do a lot of advisory um, and consulting work and I really frequently bump into very, very senior HR leaders and, you know, even some kind of senior ops leaders where I ask kind of specific and I think quite clear questions about like the business's financials or even like, what are your top five biggest customers? Um, or what's the last customer that churned? And do you know why? And the answer is like, we have no idea. That's customer, t- the customer team deals with that. Or, oh, I'd have to look back or have to think about it. Or even things, which I actually think is another crazy thing is I uh, have asked HR teams before, like, what were your last quarter OKRs or your last quarter goals? And the people team just can't even remember the things that they were working on last quarter. Because mm. the HR leaders aren't great at structuring like clear goals that are output driven that affect metrics. It's, it's, I think that's what I'm saying. I think it's a bit of a mutually, but like mutually negative system. It's easy for employee engagement initiatives to fall flat when your leadership team doesn't understand the business impact. Don't let that happen in your organization. 15.5 is the performance management platform that helps HR leaders connect employee engagement back to business results. 15.5 makes it easy to collect employee feedback, find insights, and decide where to focus your engagement strategy for maximum impact. Visit 15.5.com slash demo to schedule a demo today. Save time and get real results on social media with Hootsuite. It's a social media software loved by businesses of all sizes, from the coffee shop down the block to Costco, Interact, and the World Wildlife Fund. Just look at Intalis, Europe's largest paper and comms distributor. They use Hootsuite to attract top talent and recruitment time down by three weeks. Find out how you can do the same at Hootsuite.com. 
I do find it really interesting. I think the best HR leaders are the ones that can sit at the intersection of understanding the business and understanding the people needs. But sometimes I feel like you're not, as an HR leader, always brought into the business. And so it's not for a lack of trying, but like you're not, historically our function has not been seen as the strategic person in the room. Completely, completely. I mean, I myself, I've actually seen that like, a material change in the kind of seriousness in which I'm taken in some conversations by just the fact that my title changed from like chief people to chief ops. And like this hasn't been a problem like at whereby, but like you having conversations with other people about financials of businesses or, you know, asking questions about their, you know, what's your company's EBITDA and what, like how it was affecting that, blah, blah, blah. People are like, oh, well, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to make it too complicated for you. Kind of that was the reaction I almost got when I was in HR. And now the reaction is very different. So I think there's kind of like, Maybe it's gender, and I've got a lot of opinions on that. Maybe we won't get into that in this podcast, but maybe it's gender. But I do think that the role kind of has a reputation that they people in HR don't really understand the company or the business, and they, they don't really, even if they wanted to, we probably shouldn't let them or something like that. There's something about it that isn't serving companies or people right now. Yeah. What could HR people do to change that perception? I feel like we're all trying. Honestly, there are a lot of us out there that are like, we are just as strategic as like anyone else. In fact, sometimes we have to be more strategic because we have to balance all the people needs, all the repercussions that we know are going to come with it, and then layer in our understanding of the business. So what could HR people do tomorrow to better understand how their business operates? I actually think, and I think this is actually one of the things that surprised me the most is like, I'm a really, really curious person around like how a business is performing. I ask questions to everybody and I have no stupid questions. I'm will literally be like, why do we calculate our margin that way? And like, what are the different levers that we pull and what, what happens here? Where do you find this out? And how do you predict this to customers? Because I want to genuinely know the details about how the business like operates. If your company gives you the space to do that, that's the best thing you can do. I don't know if you have a like a weekly business review or a quarterly business review or if you're doing like financial reviews, always pre-read everything you get and ask every single question about everything you don't understand. Even if at the beginning you feel like you're like kind of letting your cards show that you don't understand things, you are so much better off letting your cards show that you don't understand everything for a couple of months, but then getting it and doing better than you are spending a year and a half kind of being in the shadows because you didn't want to ask the right people the right questions and actually get to the bottom of things. That wall is really hard to break through for a lot of HR leaders. They're like, well, I've already been in the business for two years. And now if I start asking questions about this, I'm going to look like I don't understand it or I never really got it. But I think there's ways you can frame it to be like, you know, I've been here for two years. I've been listening to these reports. I'm really interested in what's coming out of it. And I've realized over the last couple of months that there are so many things that I understand less deeply than I'd like to, to be able to connect everything together. So I'm going to start asking some really dumb questions. And some of it, I think I probably already get. Some of it, I'm not sure, but like, I just want to make sure I'm I'm certain on everything. And then I guess the other side to this is like, there are definitely people out there listening who are going to be at businesses where people push back and say, you don't get that information or mm-hmm. we're not going to tell you. And I think that should probably tell you what you need to know about how much respect they have for the work that you're trying to do. And then you either have a choice. You you push for that information and stand by the reasons why is because you manage at least 60% of the company budget month on month and you want to be able to do a better job of inve- like managing that return on investment. And then you you know push back. And if the company still says, no, focus on you know planning the office party or doing your discipline and grievances or whatever it is you need to do, 
then make a decision if that's the level of role that you want to be doing long term. And if it is, then great. There are lots of roles for those kinds of leaders out there. But if it's not, then think about the company and maybe start planning a move. Yeah. Always have an easy out plan or an, an out plan. I think about that so often. I'm like, I describe myself as a genuinely curious person. It's so like I'm always going to ask questions. So whenever I go work anywhere, I feel like that's served me well because I'll ask questions like, well, why does our business do that? How does that mean it's successful? Why did we set the goal a certain way? Like, why is that the process we run? And I think sometimes people get frustrated with me, but I've started just telling people like, hey, I'm a really curious person. Like helping me understand all the business helps me better do my job as like a people ops person. But you're right. A lot of companies don't want you to know. Which is wild because headcount is like one of the biggest line items on any budget is headcount, and that is HR and people ops. I'm yet to see a business where headcount is not the biggest spend. Um, even most marketing teams have like what ten to fifteen percent of the budget, and that's like that's like a big chunky kind of brand marketing type of team. If you're a HR leader, you've got sixty percent of the budget's headcount. Then it's your job to use the rest of your budget to improve the ROI of. So technically, you are the person that has the biggest budget responsibility in terms of like the bottom line you're outgoings of course your revenue leaders have the biggest responsibility when it comes to like the incoming like improving your top line but like they cannot do that work without you and the same vice versa right like there is a system that has to work well there so if you're not being taken seriously by those other leaders around you then i think i i always just basically push back with that fact and say i own the biggest part of the budget technically and i need to make it as efficient as possible it's a huge investment month on month. And if I can't do that job, then the company will fail. That should scare anybody into helping you do the thing you need to get done, right? Yeah. I feel like that's so fair. I think there's been a change, though, over the last few years, even over the last decade, where like everyone would look to the CFO as like the voice of reason. Now, I think more people are looking to like HR and people leaders. But I do think it's just like an adjustment period as like we are growing and changing our industry like there's a lot more we can learn as well it's a big change i think the last couple of years of people people have really gone through a massive shift like that we i know we were joking before about the economists thing but like i think a lot of people people have had to almost become mini economists you've had we had to basically learn overnight during covid how to start paying people across borders Mm -hmm. we had to learn how to build a compensation framework that worked globally when we'd never planned on being a global company We had to learn how to deal with like insane levels of inflation. Some countries like 40% inflation in the places where their employees were based. These are not problems that you can just give to anyone and watch them resolve easily. And it's one of the things I've been really, really impressed with, which I've loved about the HR community, particularly over the last like kind of eight years, is how incredibly community orientated it has become. I am in so many WhatsApp groups and Slack groups and email threads with people being like, crazy question. We have the situation. This thing's changing. This thing's changing. This is what I'm thinking we should do. Anybody want to chime in? And we've got like so many people coming and saying, here's a resource. Here's something I built. Let me get on a call with you. And I, I'm always so impressed with HR team's ability to do that. And I think that that ability to network and problem solve and reach out to a community is actually something that so many other people, CFOs included, can really learn from. I just think this job attracts like sometimes the most compassionate, empathetic people. And so we are like in the thick of the shit. And so when we are in the thick of the shit and we like put the call for help out, you always see like 15 HR people who's like, I'll forward you my document. I'll give you my framework. You can have this thing. 
anything you want. What do you need? And I'm, it never ceases to amaze me like how giving the community is because it's, that's our job by nature, honestly. It's like care about everybody else. So when I see us caring about each other, I'm like, it's a fine job to be in. Even I do it. I'm yeah. like, hey, somebody help me figure out how to do this today. And I'll get responses from a lot of people. And it feels really great to have that community for HR. It's so nice. Since the outside world oftentimes mirror our workplaces often mirror the outside world, what's one thing that you think that's happening in the world that's like very much showing up at work? And then how do we deal with it? What you just mentioned before about hyperscale in the VC world, and like we've we've kind of touched on it a little bit in the the answer I gave in my 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 multiple hot takes about space communism, but I think the the shift in the market at the moment to being more sustainability focused, more profitability driven is going to be a really big shift in the companies that we see get invested in, the kinds of products that we see being built, the way that we see teams being built, the way that we see roles existing and growing. I think that kind of VC market, what's happening in it is going to be really interesting to pay attention to for the next like couple of months at least. And we've been talking about this for a long time, right? Like, I think everyone's been talking about this dry powder VCs have had stored up for like a year, but I haven't really heard much else since that shift about what's going to come next. And I'm interested to see what's going to happen to people teams because of it. I feel like your people team had to, where in the past, in like the early days of COVID, it was like anything the people team wanted, they got budget approval for, essentially. It felt like in the last year and a half, it was like, oh, no, you all have to figure out how we can save money now which like i feel like when it comes to saving money the first thing you do is like cut headcount obviously but then it's like then we cut all the stuff we've been doing for the employees and i think a lot of people Mm -hmm. leaders have found themselves having to like scale back benefits that they wish they didn't have to scale back you know what i think is interesting about this actually i was having a conversation with someone about this recently is like i think this has actually also caused the move towards this more cognizant thought around how do we distribute compensation fairly. The really good HR leaders in this period of like, we have to scale back benefits. We can't be doing like, I don't know, birthday gifts anymore. We can't be doing everyone having offsites being flown to Jamaica, whatever, right? I think when that started scaling back, really good HR leaders said, okay, what do we have to play with here? We have to focus on giving people fair compensation. Like, I know there are quite a lot of studies that show that people care more about distributive fairness and procedural fairness around compensation than having more money. They would prefer to have fair distributive processes around how they receive the money that they get than like with obviously within a percentage of like 500% more money, people are going to be like, yeah, I'm going to the Bahamas. But if it's like a difference of five or six grand a year, people would prefer to go with the path that there is a clear and fair process about how they receive that money than like an arbitrary, almost you got pulled from a lottery and here's some bias and you get five grand. Yeah. And the reason for that is people understand there's a repeatability to that. They want to see that every year they're going to go down the same fair process and they can predict what's going to happen. People have families, blah, blah, blah. Now, I think there was a lot of really good HR leaders that during that time of really scaling back said, what is the thing that I have to work with now? It's compensation. I need to focus on building a really fair and transparent compensation framework and then distributing compensation fairly for people that are performing really well. Because that's the thing ultimately that we had to play with that would keep people in our teams and engaged. And then I think the leaders that didn't focus on that and instead just cut the benefits. And there's been a couple of people I've heard from who have said that their team just completely said, we're stopping all pay rises, for example. Mm-hmm. They are the ones that are going to really struggle during this period. Like 
profitability through not giving anyone any pay increases and cutting benefits, terrible, terrible idea. Profitability through giving really clear forecastable salary changes and cutting benefits, I think it's actually a very smart thing to happen. And I think that's a big trend that's come out of this. I feel like there's been more um, just like uh, fiscal responsibility in the last year than the first two years of the pandemic. I feel like the first two years of the pandemic, mm-hmm. it was like the wild, wild west, like work from home stipends, mental health will cover your therapy, your groceries, your childcare. And now mm-hmm. everyone's like, ooh, we want to do all those things, but also we can't pay for them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, I think some of those things odd. came out, honestly, as being a little silly. Like, I don't, maybe this is me not being like a Grinch, but like, I don't want a farmer's market budget. I just want an extra $40 in my paycheck. Like, I don't you and everyone need, else. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I'm kind of I'm glad that the days of HR teams being like, oh, we have a special benefit where everyone gets a free access to a pool if you submit your expenses on time. Like, no, I just want you to pay me fairly and for me to have flexibility and do my job and have interesting work to do. I don't need you to tell me to go to the farmer's market and I can expense it back. Thank you. Yeah. It's all also taxed, which people are like, Yeah, these ex- these expenses are great. And I'm like, all oh, that's taxable income. <laughs> yeah. I hope you exactly. You're getting like, anyway. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I do love that this entire episode has turned into Jessica's hot takes, which it's been great. <laughs> I like, again, top of the episode, I have no hot takes. I have no hot takes, but let me make this entire episode about all my hot takes. I've really enjoyed this, honestly. This has been great. Any other remaining hot takes you have since I asked that question 20 minutes ago? <laughs> I don't think I have any hot takes at all. I don't think I have any either. We just went through so much. I'm dead. Um, Okay, so we talked a little bit about the business, the part of the business that the HR leaders should understand. If there's someone listening to this today, what do you think that they can do tomorrow to really set themselves up for success other than ask questions, which you also said? Yes, be really curious. I think that's like a that's kind of behavioral change. Some more practical stuff, I think, is especially with your own team. Like that's the that's the area that you can I, I have the most influence over, right? So I would say the first thing that I would do is make sure that your team becomes output orientated. What are your output metrics you're focused on? Nothing grinds my gears more than maybe this is a hot take. Oh my gosh, prepare yourself. This might be one. <laughs> Dying. This whole episode is just the uh, hot takes. <laughs> Nothing grinds my gear more than HR teams who all of their goals are just input goals. So like yep. launch a new benefits platform, deliver new policy. And I'm like, what are you guys doing this for? And you hear like, oh, it's because we need a new benefits policy. And I'm like, yeah, but why? Oh, because people want one. Okay, but what's it like? What are we trying to do here? Yeah. Launch a benefits policy. And I'm like, okay, we're getting in. What are we doing? So I think that the ability to shift your team from being like, oh, we're doing this piece of work to we're changing this thing in the team. We're improving our employee lifetime value or we're increasing the time it takes for somebody to get from onboarded to promoted or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Like think of an actual metric. I have had this really big, um, interesting event recently I did with True HR, big shout out, love that group about how to take marketing metrics and apply them to HR. Marketing is really, really good at output-based, like output metrics. And um, I was joined by my really good friend, uh, CMO of Jim Pass, Ryan, and we talked about what are the metrics he looks at in, in marketing and how you can apply them to the HR world. And I'm sure there's a recording of it floating around somebody somewhere, but honestly, just go to your marketing team and say, 
what are the metrics that you think about and how could I potentially think about them in people? Go to your product team, which is what I wrote my whole book about, and ask them, what are the metrics that you look at when it comes to customer journeys? And then see how you can apply them to your people team. And you'll start having good ideas about how you can actually influence change in your company rather than just ship stuff. Because there's nothing less engaging for your HR team than like shipping a new benefits platform that nobody cares about because nobody needed it and it's not going to make a material change to your company. I love that. I'm Honestly, just read your book too. That's really helpful for a lot of people. We're doing great on plugging your book on this podcast, by the way. We're like, actually, I think this is the best I've ever done. I'm actually I'm really, really proud of myself. I mean, yeah. you, you literally said it. You were like, I, I'm not good at this. And I was like, no, we, we, we will make this happen. I think that's like really helpful. I've never thought about going to my marketing team and asking them about their metrics. But the idea of people ops being a data-driven function, I think is just, it's like music to my soul. I always joke that like data is my love language. And then to think about mm-hmm. the fact that we can build a very, a f- whole function around, I know there's more to HR than just the data, but proving actual business value is really important for people leaders and not yeah. just saying, oh, if they're engaged, they're going to do better work. It's like, no, let's talk about what that actually means because there's so much more to it. Mm-hmm. But the task list gr- grows long, but I think going out and talking to your product team and your marketing team and understanding how they measure success will be really helpful for people leaders. I love that. If you just make that one change, that will already have such a massive impact on, because that change alone will shift all the rest of the behaviors of your team. You'll then have to start thinking about things from like a problem-oriented space rather than a solutions-oriented space, which is excellent for problem solving and decision making. You then have to be more user research oriented because you have to be able to validate if what you're doing is actually going to affect your output. It will automatically start training you to become more output focused and more like shift into like a kind of more of a product approach anyway. Just that one thing. And there's a bunch of other things you can do. But if I was going to say, if there's one thing you want to really direct your energy into, direct your energy to understanding output metrics and then do everything you can to make sure your team understand them and do them too. I love that. You heard it here first. Um, Okay. So we like to wrap up every episode as well with, um, God, I have a feeling you're going to have a lot of answers to this one too. (laughs) What's the what I'm going to give you the one HR hill that you would die on? So there's a study that came out a couple of years ago, like an article, I think, actually, on like HBR. And it was this guy saying that he believed this guy who's like a very well-renowned academic, like a really man, whatever. (laughs) Sorry if you're listening, this man. He said that he believed that HR teams of the future are going to like not have any HR people in them. They're going to be populated entirely by management consultants and the team will split it to two. You'll have this kind of like strategy management consulting part of the business, not part of the HR team. And then like admin, like payroll people. And I categorically reject that. I think that we will always and more and more need really strategic people whose this is their job, who really want to understand the detail of like why things work within an organization and how to influence that. And also like, honestly, that do love and appreciate the operative parts of the business. Like I actually love knowing that I can build a really great process that influences how to efficiently run payroll. Like I don't think we need to be splitting things up into like, oh, things that MBA grads can do. And then, oh, the things that the admin people do. That That's a really horrible way to think about things. I actually believe that this is a really fantastic path for really strategic, smart people. And I will die on the hill. Same. I wrote that whole, I wrote a whole newsletter about CEOs who started in HR. And I keep saying like, my dream is that more and more HR people become CEOs. And then we see more and more amazing companies being built because the head of HR then becomes a CEO. 
all I want is like good workplace cultures. Okay, that's all we're all working towards. Yeah. So we're trying to figure it out. Um, okay, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved this. It was just all your hot takes. That's how I'm gonna honestly categorize this episode. Just all your hot takes. But if people wanted to get in touch with you and read your book, how do they do that? I think it's message me on LinkedIn. I'm gonna like I'm the only person I think in the world with my name. So Jessica Zwan, Z W A A N or Z W A A N. If you're an Antipodean like I am. <laughs> Uh, just message me on LinkedIn. I'm kind of terribly non-responsive, but I do my best to get back to everybody eventually. And otherwise, you can get my book. It's called Built for People. Teresa at Koga Page is going to love me. I'm doing such a good job. Shout out to Teresa. It's called Built for People. It's on Amazon. You can buy it. And yeah, let me know what you think of it. I really love people messaging me and telling me that they missed stops on trains or that they loved this particular chapter you know, I've had some really lovely people like send me pictures of them reading it on vacation and give me feedback about some of the things that they read in there and ways that I can improve stuff in the future. Like, I love it. So please make sure you get in touch with me. I love it. Also, I just still will never forget about your sister. Great job. So boring. <laughs> I will not read it. <laughs> too boring. <laughs> too boring. I'm just going to shoot you emails now. The subject line, too boring. Don't read this email. <laughs> just read this eventually. Your back is really boring. Really boring. <laughs> Thank you again so much for joining me today. I loved it. I can't wait for this pod to come out. I'll give you an update when that happens. I feel like we should just like talk on the podcast every day. Maybe just like be friends and talk on the phone. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It Here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.